Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Susan Ibitz about the importance of understanding human behavior and leading others, including understanding personal biases. Susan Ibitz, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Hi, Jonathan. How are you doing? Great. It is so wonderful to have you with me today. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about some really interesting topics and to uh, tap into your expertise and share that with my listeners. To start things off today, I just want to share a brief bio of Susan and then give you a chance to provide any additional introduction that you want, and then we'll just launch into a discussion. Susan has 28 years of experience applying behavior to sales, communication, negotiation, and everyday life. She delivers training and consults on human behavior, microexpression, body language, deception detection, statement analysis, face reading, uh, personality types, in English, Spanish, and Portuguese. And she is a self-proclaimed human behavior hacker. She does lots of keynotes, corporate training, uh, and has contributed a lot to various media outlets. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome. I'm never going to get tired to say when people describe what I do, it's like, wow, that person sounds so cool. Uh, <laughs> I think as a human being, we tend to not, at least certain personalities, like keep going. Like, oh my God, I have our column and try global two times a week. Like, oh, now what are we going to put on the column? Well, wait a minute, we need to celebrate. No, we need to work and keep going, going, going. So I always have fun when people describe what I do. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Um, And and really, so my first first main question for you, as a self-proclaimed human behavior hacker, um, what does that, how would you define that? What does that mean to you um, when you're trying to help other people understand how you can help them? Everybody in the company have funny names, all are based on, on geeky science, like I'm, I'm a huge fan of Star Trek and Star Wars, and geeky, geeky, like real geeky, to the point that my assistant is human behavior Jedi. He get offended because I think I call him short, but actually he's a good mind. Um, I think that when you need to define yourself, you cannot look yourself in the mirror. So something that I do really often, at least six times every six months, is I talk to my customers, my friends, and people who just know me and know me since a long, long time ago, and says, I, have, I do three questions. If you need to describe me, but tell other people what I do, what you would say. If you need to sell me to somebody else, what you would say. And if you tell me as a client one pain that I have fixed for you and your company, what it is. And that's how you define how you know if you change or no. And I have a couple of friends who keep saying, 
oh, you're hacking minds. You can hack in minds. Like you freaked out people. How you can get in somebody's brain? And like, well, when, when someone says, well, you're a human behavior hacker. Some people hack computers. You, you just hack humans. And like, oh my God, that's me. I like it. It's, a, it's an open question. Uh, everybody, I horrible networking. So when people says, who are you? And I threw my title. So that way they don't ask any more questions. I don't need to do small talk because the first thing is like, do you what? Like what? So human behavior hacker is helping people to understand, um, become more humans. I think that information is data and data is power, the power to become humans, humans again. I don't teach you how to manipulate others. I teach you how to avoid 90 days of painful emails and conversations and find out how somebody is in 90 seconds, a minute and a half. Why? Well, I have done it. Actually, I have been tested by other journalists. They says, okay, I'm going to record this because it cannot be true. Or even tell me, you, you don't know who's going to be interview you until the moment that we do the interview. They're turned as soon on, like, okay, before you say anything, I know what you want. That's how you are. And flipping out. And the funny part is I'm not a clairvoyant. I don't have any mystical thing that I went to the Himalayan and spent five years eating uh, trees. Like, no, I went to the hardcore I studied hostage negotiation. I went to Manchester to study with Pauling on International. I studied with everyone. I studied from interrogation to interview, everything that can be studied. And what I do with all that, instead to take it for me, I teach other people how to do it. I, for example, when I have, it's funny because I didn't know that people don't do it. Again, that conception that you're in your own bubble of thoughts. When I do a self-training, uh, the first out, first two hours of curricula, I put people to watch videos of interrogations of uh, policemen and interrogators make people confess about, um, about any high crime, even killing someone. And some people say, I think we're in the wrong class. Like, nope. If you can learn something for that person, then in 30 minutes make a person confess he killed someone else, that's how you're going to know what your customers want. Because selling is not that you sell me what you want. It's selling me what I need. And sometimes as a customer, I don't have any idea what is my needs. Today, with the crisis that we have, most people is not aware of what they need. They're froze. Like fear is froze, run on fight. So people is going to fight you, people is going to froze, and people is going to fly. So helping your customers know what they want based on their needs, that is a gift that we can teach you. Because the good sales and the good consulting and the good professional is the one one month later, you're not afraid to call your customer and says, how are you doing with what I give you, sell you, coach you? And that is the moment of through when like, you even give me something that I didn't need, I know. You know me so well. They even know my thoughts and my needs before, even before I need it. That to me is success. Not the number of check, is that calling one person a month later that is more, one of the most frightening things and say, did I do the right? Is what you needed? And keep my boss happy because it's what we need to sell too. But we need yeah. to find the line and that line it need to be taught is how to read others, how to profile others in a good way. Yeah, well, that's so interesting. 
and I, and again, I love the, the term um, human behavior hacker. I think that's so cool. Uh, and, and you dispel the, you know, what maybe some people might have as initial fears around that uh, in terms of manipulation techniques, in terms of, you know, things like racial profiling, um, some of those negative elements that, that we don't want to promote. Um, but what you're talking about really is reading body language, facial expressions, intonation, um, really understanding interpersonal interactions uh, in, in a way that will, that you can leverage to help people, right? Is that One accurate? One of the things that I did about face reading, it has nothing to do with culture, race, or age. You can have twins, and we have studied twins. I, I studied with the best on face reading, and I start doing my own research. One of the reasons the company says, through research and teaching. What happened in a controlled environment in a university, and you're a teacher professor, and I don't want to sound offensive, it's great because it's a controlled environment. What happened when you put it in real life? And the thoughts are needed in real life, you need to test it on research to go back. So it's a circle, never stop. So beside the studies, I did my own studies. I don't have papers, I don't have funding. I just went through thousands of people. What I do on the weekends is go to fairs. I put a little box and says free face reading. And like, why free? Because I'm gonna learn from your face. And I start looking for twins on between 50s and 60s years old. And I found out that even though they're identical twins, they have lines on their face and features on their face that has changed in the last 20, 30 years and they're based in what happened with their life. The cohort I study, it started in 1921 and there were 292 people, people followed for 83 years. So different researchers were taking the, 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 the project. And after 83 years, they determined the mouth, eyes, ears, and nose. It's telling the story how your life went how happy and unhappy and how how much uh, comfort and money and luxury you had or not so that's when like oh my god that yeah that's how accurate this is that, and again i was it's not 83 months 83 days 83 years tell me what other study has done and recopilation data for so long and there were people from different race different nationalities and shows that doesn't matter. I have one feature, the Martin Luther King half and Paul Love, who was Russian half. I wish it was, it was the brain. No, it's more simple than I have a little bump under my nose that it says that you work better, better in service to others. And again, when I put the picture, it says, no, it's not the brain. Don't worry. I'm not as intelligent as the eye. But I did find out there were different race, different nationalities, and we th the three do the same. I love to do pro bono. I even sometimes I have complaints on my team because I do too much pro bono, and I enjoy it, and I do it on my weekends, in my personal time. Why? Because I want to help people get into the next level, and usually I do it with institutions who bring people from the south side here in Chicago or places where they don't have a good income and they don't have the possibility to go to college and take it to the next level. And I teach them basic behavior and how to do it. And that gives me satisfaction. Again, the same pattern, same behavior, same feature, different in every aspect of the life that we have, the three of us. Yeah, so interesting. 
Um, so let's apply this to an organizational context. Um, if I'm an organizational leader, how can I use these types of approaches and methods to better understand the people I'm leading, to lead more effectively, to be a better supporter of and empowering them to do their work? Um, how can I better choose, you know, through the hiring process, choose my team? You know, some of these types of elements. How, how can what you offer um, help organizational leaders? First, I think a leader and a manager is not the person who make everybody understand you. It's your job and your responsibilities understand your people. We want to be seen. One of the biggest effects that I have when I read someone, it's crying. It's like, oh no, the heck, do you know my therapist? Those are the three things, but always is the common denominator. Oh my God, you see me, is nothing wrong with me. And leaders are running and managers are running so fast that obviously you're not going to have a DNA uh, test on each of your employees, but you can divide your people in introverts and an extrovert. You cannot put an introvert 24-7 in a video. <coughs> you're going to kill him, kill him or kill her. So you need to know that about your team. You need to know how much exposure that person has because you can be burning the best fuel of that person because you put it on the same box. An extrovert is gonna be out all day, no problem. Another thing is you need to know if your team is visual, is auditory or kinesthetic. If they're visual, they're gonna be the people who can visualize and give you a good presentation. They're the goods who pair with clients who are asking for certain products and certain things. The auditory people is the one who's gonna be listening and paying attention all the time. So if there suddenly you have an introvert who is a listener in a meeting, they're not gonna talk. They're gonna be holding the head down because their weight on the world, the words are important. So you cannot point that person that says, you know what, you didn't participate in the meeting. Like, yeah, and they can recite all the meeting word by word, but because you didn't know that. Another thing, you need to send your agenda on time before a meeting, knowing the time and the topics when you wanna work in this case specifically in a team. Why? Because the introverts, they need to be ready and the extroverts need to tone down. So as a leader, what I do, and when I have a meeting, we are 19, and I always make fun. Some of them are really cocky male, like they're gonna talk all the time. So I mute everyone, and they need to raise their hands to talk. So I allow everybody to have their own pace. You can know how people process information is people-oriented, facts and data, or they're doing research. I'm doing research all the, all the time. My right hand has facts and data. So he is the person who take my obsessive compulsive uh, research disorder, then I need to know everything. I said, Susan is done. It's an article who has 300 pages. It's a simple 30 minute presentation. We don't need to know if Napoleon had that, that problem. Stop it. And it's good because he stopped me from procrastination, from overanalyzing and procrastination by perfection. He punched me and push me to go. Funny part, he's in another continent. We never met face to face, but we have eight meetings face to face in Zoom before we, they both agree this is gonna be a good relationship for both. He, yeah. went a good, he did a huge change on career. And I says, this is, I don't want expecting to you be, to be for six months because I have news for you. After working with us, you're ruined. 
because you're not going to be able to work with anybody else because the level of reading and analyzing is different. That's happened with him. He's been with me six months. He's ruined already. So as a leader, three things that you need to know. How to read your team, how to assign the task, and it's proven that in all the depressions and crises on the story of our United States, depression on the 19th, uh, 9-11, 2008, is the companies who grow, the start, for example, most people doesn't know that you Uber, Instagram, Slack, start in 2008, worse of the depression. So the companies who grow, they start, and they're become stronger are, are the ones who stop being pity, stop being crying, let people vent, but look for the next one. Okay, great. We have this. What is going to happen in a week? We don't know. Okay, let's put scenarios and be ready. Support your people and like, okay, I get it that you have a horrible time, but you have a job too. Let's concentrate on what you're going to do next. And Simon Sinek said really good in a podcast and I listen as one of his employees asked, I going to have a job after this? And he says, it's not, it's not dependent on me. It's depending on how fast you can adapt. And it's true. We, need, we become animals of adapting to a reality who didn't give us few weeks to prepare. Some people left the office on Monday, 5 p.m. and like, oops, I forgot to water my plant. Don't worry, tomorrow morning I come and I'm going to do it. And next morning, hey, your laptop is going to be delivered to your house. You're not coming to the office. And the truth is 75% of the people are going to stay working at home because companies, for example, they found out how much money they save in having people working from home. They're more productive, less sick days. Even though in this craziness and you have your kids running around, you see your partner 24-7, but most people is moving to the suburbs. They live in the shoebox they live in and having a bigger house. And house selling has been crazy because people is buying houses in the middle of the crisis. Why? Because you need to understand that every crisis have a, pl a plateau for growing. Doesn't matter what it is. Adaptation is the one who made us that the cavern man or woman who didn't talk and use sound, and they were uh, catching dinosaurs for eating to the great meeting with you that you are in another part of the United States and we can have a Zoom. That's called adaptation. And as a leader, that's what you need to show. Every leader that I talk is more afraid even their own employees and their team. But you need to mend up and help you help others to become with an idea. Because when I feel that I'm part of a tribe, I don't want to leave the tribe. So how you treat me, how we work in this moment is going to be the fundamental foundation for tomorrow as a leader in a company. Yeah, that's, that's great. I... There were a bunch of things you said in there that uh, I just want to highlight real quick. Um, one of the things was your assistant and you and how you complement each other, right? So you have different approaches, you have different styles, you have different strengths. Um, you know, so we can, there's things like personality differences, there's um, things like strengths finder, um, all these different ways that we can help understand uh, the differences between individuals and how they uh, work together as a team, uh, introverts versus extroverts, and so on. Uh, all of these are 
are informative to the human condition and understanding human behavior and how we can more effectively interact. And so as a leader, one of the first things I need to do is know my people. Um, I can't know perhaps everything about them. You know, what leaders are busy, right? They, they're, they're juggling a lot of different things and they're trying to keep things moving forward operationally um, and so forth. But, but they need to know their people. They need to at least have a baseline understanding. And so, and it doesn't, it, it also isn't rocket science and it doesn't need to be this tricky type of, of uh, behavior, behavioral analysis to, to at least know the baseline of how you can better help your people. You just identified several um, elements that are fairly straightforward that everyone can ascertain pretty quickly um, without any real special training. Uh, and so- you know, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you know whose fault is that? People who does what I do, who coach others. Because in order to sell it and sell it more expensive and make me indispensable, I'm making you look like this is weird magic. That's what I'm saying. I didn't wasn't the Tibet for 80 years eating plants. Like, no, I went to study. I put myself yeah. to study. So it's easy. You can do simple things. But the fault is the other people make it look so complicated that instead to selling a service, making people afraid to have one. And like you yeah, said, I, I, I think that's things. right. I think that's right. And, and a lot of it is just comes down to self-awareness, self-reflection, um, being in the moment, being present, listening, paying attention. Um, you know, these are just basic things that everyone can and should do. Um, you know, we, we need to check our biases. So, so many decision makers, particularly leaders, they get into the positions of power that they're in because, you know, they, they've experienced success in the past. They have expertise. They're probably, you know, assertive and they're probably good with people. Uh, and so over time, they kind of climb the ladder and they move up and they find themselves in these new situations where they have the opportunity to make uh, decisions. And what ends up happening, and we know that so many of these executive and leadership types of decisions and organizations are failures, and so often it's because of implicit biases that they're not even aware of, but are informing uh, their decision-making process. And so just simply being will having enough intellectual humility to take a step back and to realize that I have my own biases, you have your own biases, we all do, and so I'm, because of that, because of that self-awareness, I'm going to look for evidence to support what I'm, um, with the decisions I'm making rather than just going with my gut or just going with, you know, the, a person walks into an interview and, you know, within, uh, 10 seconds, you know, I make a determination about whether this person's a good fit for the job or not. Those types of determinations are ridiculous. Uh, in fact, there's actually some research that shows that many leaders, um, it's not the old kind of uh, rule was a the 10 second rule. They would say an interviewee comes in within 10 seconds, a leader will make a decision. Um, but now more recent research with eye tracking and EEGs and some of those types of elements, um, they find that it's actually like less than a second, a fraction of a second that people take a look and they make their initial snap judgment based on you know all their personal biases and and then that ends up make uh, influence unduly influencing the decision and and that's not effective decision making that's not effective leadership and so we just need to make sure that we're paying attention that we're open to 
new information, new data, that we check our biases, that we listen and, and to the needs of the people we, we lead. Three things that I want to point in when you says is completely right. They sometimes they promote somebody because somebody because is doing a great job. But sixty percent of the, the managers that I interview, they don't have any idea how to do the job because nobody explained them. Oh, you're a really great self person. You're a manager. With what? I only know how to manage myself. Second of all, I do have a strong opinion about this, and it's my personal opinion about how much you can influence your first impressions. Uh, I can be wearing the same perfume of your grandmother and your grandmother used to slap you. So it doesn't matter how good I am. I smell like her, your brain is gonna go ballistic on the memory. Or maybe I have the smile of the first girlfriend who broke your heart or make you happiest person in the world. So what happened with biases is we can do as much as we can to make a good first impression, but at the end of the end, doesn't depend on you. So as a leader, you need to understand where are your bias, where are they coming from? And even though I don't like maybe the person, that person is right for the place that I need to put it. Maybe the things that I don't like about you are the things that the position are requiring. Right. I have worked with people. I work for a um, political consultant for almost 20 years. And I always work with people that I didn't like. And I remember the person who was representing me says, you're nuts. Like, no, if I like him, I'm biased because I'm going to approve everything that he or she does. But if I don't like the person, now I'm the majority of the population. And the first thing that I said to the person, I don't like you. I don't like you. I wouldn't vote for you. I don't know what the heck are you doing where you, you are. But the good news is I'm half of the population. So I can think like them, I can feel like them, and I know how to talk to them. That's what makes me good in my job. I hate you. Almost that. And most people look at me like, I'm sorry, you take your meds today? Like, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> my mom get me tested. I'm normal. Yeah. I just saying you in teaching you things that nobody else is gonna tell you. And at the end of the campaign or the work is like, you know what, you was right. It's not about to be right. It's I need the against bias about you so I can see you and see who you are. But in the other hand, I need to control myself is because I don't like this person doesn't mean that everything that person does is wrong. I just need to, instead to make that person fit in a rhetorical box, I need to put the box to adapt to the person and that's yeah. where some people know as a clinton box and how to <clears throat> steve job was the first person using tennis shoes and the turtleneck so that that's how you adapt the rhetoric to the person you don't modify the person you made that person adaptable and you're always going to have people who hate you and love you and i said in capital interviews and people says you're you extremist like i don't have grades some people need to understand in life, you're not going to have great space. Other people can, should, and want. But other ones, you're going to have people who put you on a pedestal because what you do and people who's going to deteriorate in you because yeah. it says you're racist. I'm not. Actually, I'm taking that out of the table. But if you don't understand, if it take me three emails and five meetings to make you to understand what I'm going to take your people, how high and definite di different and advantage you have teaching your people behavior 
we are not a match. We need to fire each other. It's not only you want to fire me as an employee or so you're consulting. I need to fire you as a customer. Why? <clears throat> because it's not going to work. Your resistance is going to kill your team. And your resistance is not productive for me. So if you're not in this level to understand how science behavior is way at some time more important than the degree that you have, it's not going to work. So you can have a PhD, you can have a master, but some people have a street smart and you need to put both. And a perfect cake, you need all the ingredients. I need people with PhD to help me to understand and read the, 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 the papers and the studies they spend so much time doing. And I need somebody who has been on the street for 20 years to tell me how we digest this, put it together and help people who doesn't have neither of those um, advantage to yeah. become better. So you need anything on this society. Nothing is yeah. worse or bad or better or, 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 or whatever you want to put it. We need everything. We need to put it together. Well, I love that. Um, and Susan, this has been an awesome discussion. The time has flown by and, and, uh, and we're wow, out of time. We, over, we went over the time. <laughs> Um, but it's been great talking there and there's actually several other things I wanted to discuss with you. So perhaps we can uh, schedule a follow-up discussion. Um, I'd love to have you back on the podcast in the future, uh, but thank you so much for joining me today. Um, why don't you just take uh, a minute and uh, explain to my listeners how they can get in touch with you and find out more about you and what you do. First of all, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. This is the, the main source of where we publish everything. Uh, it's Susan Ivitt uh, with a C as in zebra at the end. You can Google me. And if it's not, I would just go to humanbehavioralove.com. That is our consulting company. And we have a second company where we're teaching people human behavior. It's the only e-learning platform teaching human behavior. And it's not because what happened now. We started working on this platform six months ago. But it's Human Behavior Hacker School. It's the only platform, for example, teaching face reading. Nobody else is teaching face reading online. So we like to do things outside the box because we find out that we have a tribe. I, I love my tribe. I'm nobody without you guys. Okay, well, wonderful. Thank you again so much. Um, I encourage my listeners to, to go and, and reach out to you. And Susan, I, I hope we can talk again soon. And I hope you have a great week. You too, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.